Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And today, I'm going to be covering Honeysuckle and talking a bit about what to watch out for if you want to work with a trickster god. Ooh. Yikes. Oh, and <laughs> I'm going to be talking about Ostara and Pan. So I'm going to uh. be talking about Ostara the Holiday... And a little bit about Ostari the goddess. So we're going we're gonna to cover all of it. Um, but I think first we wanted to catch up a little bit. Yeah. I just want to start by saying um, a bit of like behind the scenes. I often do my notes on my phone. And there was a very stupid typo in this like intro. And it says, and talky by a bit about Ta- what to watch out for. <laughs> so um that's embarrassing, but I mean, yeah. uh, the last episode, I think there was also a typo in one of your bits that was caused by my kitten because we use a uh, Google document. And <laughs> yeah, um, I love it. She, I think, had run across the keyboard, and I remember no. there was like a bunch of zeros. No, in what one you of mean to things. say is that she thought that that segment was worth nothing (laughs) that was her saying shannon this is terrible work you might as well have not put anything here she's a critic yeah but i i remember her running across the thing and i remember when we were recording i was looking and there was like uh, just a little string of zeros and i do (laughs) i remember because honestly so so you uh how are how are things going with hexes so shannon just got a kitten Hexes, yeah, who is yeah. a, a smoky kind of tabby, very dark gray kitten. Yeah, so he's he's got a smoke coat. So the ends of his fur are they're actually black, and then the roots of his fur are white. So he does have that pretty like smoky coat when he moves. I think we talked a little bit about it last week, but he is like he's adjusting really well. He's a sweetheart. Um, He still hasn't digestively adjusted from the really rapid change of foods he's gone through. So that's been delightful. Uh, I'm Um, still going through the same thing with Faye. And so uh, for those of you out there who are weirdly enough listening to our 21st episode and just starting just starting this podcast on the 21st episode, I got a kitten recently um, who is one. They're one month apart. Yeah, yeah. I've got my little Virgo baby. And I I have the Libra kitty and she she's like solid black and uh yeah. What yeah. what is it with that? I think it's the vaccinations and the deworming and God, all, like, like, all of it together. Like Yeah, they, they get vaccinated, dewormed, and then they also eat whatever the fuck the shelter feeds them. Mm-hmm. And then they have to switch to your food because the shelter food is never like good quality food. Plus all the stress. So it's just like, hey, cool. Do you want to deal with a tiny animal with diarrhea that can't clean itself very well for a bit? <laughs> Have fun. Uh, I definitely had a paw print of like cat shit on my sweater the other day that I had to change after because he like jumped up in my lap after going to the litter box. And I was like, the glamour of pet ownership. Um, you know, it's like the glamour of being a witch and having a black cat and being covered in cat shit. Oh, wait. Right? That's, it's so That was not part good. of it. No, right? I was like, uh, I love kittens. He's five months old, so he's not like 
super young, but he's still young enough that he's, you know, he's adjusting. But it's been really cute. Um, Willow loves him. We are still working with her, not like lennying him because she loves too hard. Mm. Uh, and she doesn't realize she's got she weighs so 40 much pounds. love to she gives me too much love and i'm a fully grown adult man yeah she's just overflowing but honestly they've been like snuggling and i have some pictures i can post them i have a picture of the two of them snuggled up on the couch and it's the fucking cutest thing i've ever seen but you know i mean catland is good i'm glad we uh we had a little bit of time to catch up and ben could save our ass uh with oh the weird goodness. audio yeah. issues thank you, have you to ben do a shout out to ben <laughs> Because yeah. uh, we could not hear each other for the first couple minutes trying to record this episode. Yep. And so we were kind of like yelling at each other into each other's headphones. And um, it was mm, a mess. And... <laughs> it was a mess. But honestly, like, it's good because when I came in, I literally had just finished, like, I'm making bagels. Um, so I was kneading dough and... It took a long time for me to get it to like where it could even get close to passing the window pane test. So I was like sweaty and a little out of breath when I came up and I was like, man, uh, I hadn't intended to be working the dough that long, but it's good because now we had a little bit of a, a break while Ben fixed the problem. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're just so chilling. I don't sound winded. <laughs> right. Oh, you know, oh my. Yeah, but I'm, I'm how's excited. Faye? How's Faye adjusting? So. Oliver loves Faye. And so part of the whole situation was uh, mainly for Oliver because I had moved in with this new roommate and we had kind of thought that our cats could be friends with each other. But she, his cat, she is just really grumpy. And yeah, she is standoffish. She's a little standoffish. I have never had a cat not immediately love me. Like that's part of my brand sure and she yes. she like Same. wouldn't even acknowledge me um and we love wildy and i you know i get along with wildy and i i get wildy's vibe but you know her and oliver are not like best friends and you yeah. know ollie cleans Faye. You know, Aww. it's like uh, that kitten vibe. It's like um, yeah, that mammalian thing where it's like she's a baby. He takes care of her. Honestly, I feel like he adopted a cat more than I did because oh yeah, they, they are BFFs, and she has been really good about uh, him being a little sick. Um, Aww. you know, he was a little sick. He it's uh, they said it was like a gum infection, so I guess uh, like kitty gingivitis or something uh, but he's he's an old boy i guess at some point he had to have something right 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 and you know so he's been kind of medicated this week and like really kind of low energy and she's been she's been chill about it for the most part but you know that i've had to keep them separate a little bit especially at night because she just it uh, doesn't let him rest as much as he needs yeah. to rest. She's like, got that that's kitten the thing. Yeah. That always want to play kitten thing, which. And he will play along. He will play along a little bit, but I'm like, no, Ollie, you need to rest. Like you yeah. are, you need to chill and you need to rest. And she needs to just do her own thing with the laser <laughs> and the catnip mice and all of that. So. Yeah, it's big like Samson vibes too because he'll like he'll put up with Hexus to a point, 
And then he's just like, I'm fucking 13. I need a nap. Yeah. Like, you child, get away from me. Willow, Willow tries to play and he loves Willow. Like he will go up and snuggle her and he tries to play too. But then, you know, he gets done and you've met my dog. She doesn't understand that, you know, once you start playing, it's not going to last forever because she just <laughs> assumes you're going to play until the end of time. Until once you the, start. That's how Faye is. And so it's yeah. like, I, I have to keep her away from Ali because he will play along up until a certain point and then he gets grumpy and it's like, it's a whole thing. Three cats. Can I just say, I've never done three cats before. And I know one of them is my roommates, but it's a lot. Like, That's a lot of feline energy. We're really living up to our Wi-Fi router name, which is Chateau Gato. <laughs> our uh, our Wi-Fi router name is Millennial Horcrux, um, which... I think that most of our internet routers are for us. If you killed it, part of my soul would die. Um, but I think now that we've gotten through the cat updates, which is like fantastic, we got to plug your special trip, Nicholas. Yes. So I am going to Los Angeles for the weekend of April 2nd through the 6th. Um, so I'm leaving on a Friday and coming back on a Tuesday, I believe, uh, Tuesday morning. And um, uh, that is for my 30th birthday. If whoop, whoop. You were not all aware. And so we're going to do we're going to do another live episode because the I the idea here is, I think, going to L.A., which I would love to do um, because Shannon is there as well. Hi. And we're going to have a, a fun <laughs> celebration. Um we're going to do a live episode. So if y'all have yeah. some questions, some comments, some, you know, some lewd remarks, perhaps some lewd remarks. Honestly, for my birthday, I would love some lewd remarks. Like, <laughs> give it to me. But really, though, if, if we want to if y'all want to send some stuff in, uh, we are doing we're doing a live episode. And we when we did our live episode in December, um, we had some lovely content that was submitted by listeners and we'd love to do that again because I'm we're going to do another one um and it was so, so fun we love like knowing what y'all want to know more about so and, and also you know since it is my birthday vacation weekend it's kind of nice to have something that like we don't have to write like we can just like read y'all's <laughs> questions Right. And it's it's a little bit of a cop out. Um, but help help me for my birthday. Yeah. You owe Nick. All it's, of you owe him. I'm just you, kidding. But. I've never gotten a bag of rubies <laughs> in the mail. So you owe yeah. this much to me. The least you can do is send in questions, send comments, in a question. or preferably lewd remarks. Or lewd remarks. <laughs> and we're you know, and I I love that we're going there because Actually, I'm I'm covering Pan today, which I mentioned in yeah. the intro, but I'm going to reiterate because I I'm kind of a lewd person. So uh, we're going to get yeah. to that later on. Shannon I hope that people might have figured that out about us by now. <laughs> I guess, though, if you're just starting, um, there's a reason this has like an explicit like it's um, explicit yes. uh, on the podcast stuff. Uh, we're both 
kind of dirty birdies, but that's okay. That's why you love us, right? That's true. And for everyone out there, again, that is listening to episode 21, 21. as your first episode, welcome. Uh, but also kind of kind of a weird place to start. <laughs> yeah, go back to the beginning. We did the episodes have gotten better, but we do have an intro episode, so you can at we least do. get to know us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? I mean, honestly, fuck it. This is as good of a place as any. If you're here, please just don't go anywhere. Stay. Yeah. Stay, Stay for, for the, party. the next one. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, I guess in that, Nick, I'm so excited. This is like such a fun season. Yes. So we're talking about Ostara, which I love because it's also usually around my birthday. It's um, Nick season. It's Nick season, right? So, <laughs> but also, before we really get into all this, we've got the fascinating history of a goddess and her lovely spring holiday to talk about. But I think it's only fair to address the elephant, or maybe I should say, giant rabbit in the room (laughs) so um we've kind of gone over this before with some of the other neo-pagan holidays but yes this is another stop the steal moment featuring the pope uh uh, again pope i'd like to speak to your manager please please hey thanks um so just to kind of dig in a little bit here the old english name for Ostara is spelled E-A-S-T-R-E, and that is pronounced Aster. Uh huh. and yeah, isn't that interesting? That looks that looks familiar. And uh the old word for April was something Ab- that I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it translates to Aster's month. Uh, And so, of course, the early Catholic Church was very ambitious as far as trying to appeal to a a broader demographic, and they just could not keep their hands off of this wildly popular spring festival in Ostara's honor. So as per usual, they did a plagiarism. It's so lazy. Like, they don't even try. I was talking with Eric about this today. I was like, they don't even fucking try. Like, there's no reason that, like, bunny rabbits and eggs have jack shit to do with zombie Jesus. Like, but, I just uh, don't. What? Are you surprised, though? Are, no, is anyone surprised? No. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm just disappointed. I'm just disappointed in you, Pope. <laughs> so uh, the way it kind of shakes out, though, is that by the 8th century or so, Ostara worship was on the way out in Germany, which is where it... But when we talk about 8th century Germany, uh, there there is no country of Germany that we're talking about. So we're talking about yeah. Germanic peoples, the, the Saxons. Is, I, I love that too, because it's very funny in... Um, in Outlander, when she goes back very far in time and is like, oh, you know, in Germany? And they were just like, what? What is Germany? And I was like, aha, weird, dumb history and geography joke. Yeah, I mean, Germany has really only existed for less than a century. Uh, But we're here. 
And so it was kind of in Germany. But by the 8th century, they had kind of moved on to celebrating it as the um, resurrection of Jesus for like a month-long celebration. And they really just did what they did best and combined elements of the Ostara feasting holiday and the resurrection of Jesus. And they still based it on the phase of the moon, um, which was very, very deeply rooted in the pagan holiday, um, which is actually we're in the middle of Lent right now. And Mardi Gras has just happened. And all of that is based on the face of the moon as well. And I mean, but the the Christian church is uh, not a pagan church. so uh, I know. I just feel like this one just still feels so much lazier than the other ones. <laughs> it's like, I, I think it's always been like the Easter like egg thing with like the bunny and the egg and i was like even as a kid i was like first of all bunnies don't lay eggs the fuck also jesus jesus um but so yeah we've got the obvious crossover elements found in ostara's main symbols are the rabbit and the hare and of course we're recognizing that from modern easter celebrations as the easter bunny and easter eggs But I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about Ostara here and not kind of do this uh, comparison. Um, Because Christians are thieves. They stole all their holidays. Uh, And that's the the, thief and man. That's the last. That's the that's really the last word. That's that's all we're going to say. But okay, so Ostara was the Germanic goddess of the spring. And also had dominion over uh, dawn and or sunrise. So it's like, um, I think spring is kind of like the sunrise of the year. Yeah, it's nice because we're still kind of in that liminal space that like in between before things are really hot because Ostara is so close to like the beginning of spring, Mm. which makes sense because I feel like, you know, dawn, sunrise, it is. It's one of those like very liminal spaces. So yeah, it's 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 not the the thick of spring even. It's the beginning of spring. It's yeah. about like shoots and buds and snow melt. It's not about like fully bloomed flowers and you know it's the beginning of spring, right? Yeah. Oh, and I just wanted to like hop in here because I realized. I use the word liminal space a lot. And for a long time, I kept hearing people use this word and I didn't understand what it meant. And so I just want to like define it for people. So nobody has to feel like I did for a long time. Liminal basically comes from like the Latin limen, which means like threshold or like a point of entering. So like a liminal space is like the time between like the past and the future. It's kind of like this big transitional space. So I just, sorry, I want to hop in with that because yeah, for yeah, a long no, time. It, it's, it's, the <laughs> yeah. End, it's, it's the end of winter and the beginning of spring. Exactly, exactly. I just feel like liminal space is one of those like witchy terms that gets thrown around a lot. And I, I never want anybody to feel left out. No, no, no. I, and, and we've actually gone over this before where it's like we all, a lot of us, I would say not all, 
a lot of us do this kind of thing on our own. So it never hurts to throw something like that out. Yeah, it's uh, it's the end of winter and the beginning of spring. It's the new buds. It's the rushing waters. It's not the thick of it. You know, it's not the full. It's it's not maypole spring. Yeah, exactly. It is Ostara spring. It so, <laughs> um, but so some scholars have concluded that Ostara and Freya are sort of different iterations of the same goddess and so that's something that's kind of interesting to throw in here um with the norwegian pantheon or not even the norwegian the scandinavian pantheon yeah is that you can draw a lot of similarities to freya um or at least the 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 vanir the which is the fertility gods in the norse pantheon which are actually like a cast below sort of the oh. uh, the main gods, like Odin and Thor and all of them, which is questionable. I mean, we should do a, like a whole questionable witchy practice about how a, a lot of the, the lady goddesses in the Norse pantheon are. Uh, yeah. One of these days, we'll have to overlooked. like add it to the list. <laughs> um. But uh, what what is consistent with it's actually it's shocking how few accounts are out there about Ostara because you have Bede who wrote about it in about like the 10th century and as like a historical account about Ostara like trying to and, and so one thing about Bede that a lot of people should know, and that's B-E-D-E, since we're doing spelling this episode, um, <laughs> just in case it's not bead, like a bead on a necklace. Um, he was a very religious man, a very staunch Christian. So one of the reasons that they think that what he wrote about Ostara was accurate as far as what he heard in folk tales was that someone who was so staunch to Christian would not have written a, would not have come up with a goddess because he wanted people to worship our Lord and savior, uh, Jesu Cristo. So. <laughs> oh my God. I've sang as a choir kid, I've sang so many Latin songs about Jesus <laughs> and I'm over it. I want a Latin song about Ostara. Please yeah, invade. yeah, yeah. But but I mean, but doesn't that make sense though? So it what does. we know about Ostara comes a lot from Bede. And as someone who, again, was very strictly religious and was just writing about this from a historical perspective, it does not make a lot of sense that he would come up with a whole extra goddess, right? Um Yeah, that but, would have been a weird like sidestep from his entire experience to just yes. make that up. Um, but Ostara worship is all about the spring. So her energy is said to be seen in the birds returning from their migrations, the buds and shoots appearing on the plants, 
And it's also about like the rabbits coming out of their holes and the chickens beginning to lay eggs after a long, dark winter. And a fun fact that I actually learned doing the research for this is that chickens that don't get access to a heat lamp, for instance, in first millennium Saxony, uh, they don't lay eggs in the winter because there's less light. Yeah. Like the less light that there is, a, a chicken will stop laying eggs. So when spring comes back around, the chickens start laying eggs again. Uh, That's interesting. I also did not know that. <laughs> I really didn't know either. And I have more than one person in my family raises chickens. So yeah, my sister has a fuck ton of chickens. I'm, I just had no, I guess in modern times they're all under like heat lamps, but I mean, here's the thing. Yeah. It's like, um, I, you know, I've met Morgan. Uh, I bet they have a heat lamp wherever they're keeping their chickens. Cause you can just use a clamp yeah, lamp yeah. like you use for, uh, automotive maintenance and you put a heat bulb in it and that's, that's enough. And you can keep your chickens, uh, laying over the winter, but, Back in the day, they didn't have that. So they had to wait until spring for the chickens to start laying eggs again. Uh, but these yeah, eggs... Admittedly, though, I was going to say, admittedly, though, I mean, the chickens probably enjoy a break, man. Well, I mean, you're telling me I, I would enjoy a break. I've got a kitten at home. It's basically like a newborn. I can't sleep. My God, but, I know. Uh, we're both new parents with kittens. <laughs> we really are. Uh, but no, 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 I mean, you know, it's like, it takes a lot to make an egg. So yeah. a little, a little rest and recovery, uh, might not be the worst idea, but I mean, I, I would say, I don't think, I, I mean, from what I've seen with people with chickens, like, I don't think the heat lamp is, uh, cruel, you know, it's not as cruel as, uh, eating the chicken. <laughs> well, we're uh, letting them just be fucking freezing. <laughs> right. Know. Um, but Okay, so we're we've kind of gone on a whole uh, little side quest here, but a chicken eggs, tangent. The spring eggs. We we wonder why their eggs are a thing with spring because we don't know because you can get eggs any time of year nowadays. You just go buy a dozen, right? Yeah, I eat eggs all the time. Yeah, you make an omelet. Yum yum yum. Uh, but but no, so. <laughs> These were like blessed relief for the protein starved people who were living off the actual land. And because by the beginning of spring, end of winter, they're like, I'm so tired of turnips and beets and potatoes. And Just like, like Karen, I swear to God, if we eat one more fucking turnip. I'm so done. Um, right. Like, even if you really planned it out and you had, like, beef jerky and shit. Like, no one had that. But, like, let's just say it's gonna be gone by March. So. Yeah. Those eggs were precious. Uh, but. This was also the time of year when you would start to get dew on the grass instead of frost. And the creeks and brooks were a babbling. So I mean, when you really think about that, like we are both from Texas. So 
things like that being fro- frozen is something that is very foreign to us. But if you relied on a creek or a brook for water and it's flowing again because of the snowmelt, that's very good for you. Like, this is a very exciting yeah. time. Yeah, this is the like, hey, congrats, you didn't die this time. <laughs> right. This winter. Uh, and so this water, this like morning dew and these uh, creeks that were beginning to flow with snowmelt uh, were seen as holy for bathing and could, so the story goes, restore your youth. And so because of this belief, there are accounts that during this time of year, the countryside in Saxony and Brittany and all of the old sort of Germanic pre-Old English continental Western uh, tribes uh, uh, you, you could see maidens dressed in uh, white but not just white but sheer white uh, because you know you gotta have a, a nip here and there um, <laughs> bathing in streams and frolicking, which, I mean, I, you know, minus the, the nip slips. I, doesn't that sound nice? You know, just frolicking in a, a spring creek. I mean, I'm sure you can find porn of it. So, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you can. <laughs> um, but there is also a folktale about the white maiden of Osterode who visited a young nobleman at the ruins of Thurnberg. And he was doing uh, night kind of stuff. You know, as a young noble, back in the day, you had to do night stuff. You had to ride a horse and uh, defend your honor and all kinds of things. And he, and he was tired, right? And he just wished for some cold refreshing wine which uh, no one had refrigerators back then but he really wanted some some cold refreshing wine um and a lady in white shows up and grants his wish did she bring him a froze i'm sure that's what he got but (laughs) considering that this is a germanic folktale you may never know but I'm going to assume it was a Froze. She's a goddess, and she can travel through not only space, but I'm sure time. A Froze would have been just the thing. But she gives him his very delicious chilled wine and then disappears. And she just leaves this guy wondering what the fuck was up. And so he kind of goes crazy wondering about this like ethereal maiden who appeared with this wine. And he waited night and day at the ruins of Thurnberg. (laughs) Uh, Thurnberg. Just even to see her. And he went so crazy in the process that he started to see her in the trees and in reflections in the water. And just, like, all over the place. And so they say that it was uh, an appearance of 
Ostara, you know, sort of like how they have uh, appearances of the Virgin Mary everywhere. Um, so it was like a, she kind of showed herself, right? Um, and so she did finally return many years later. And they had said that the man was cursed to live until he could get his desire, which was just to kiss her because he was so intrigued, so to speak. Uh, And so he just waited and waited and waited. And he was a very old man. And she finally came and gave him a single kiss and he died. (laughs) What a way to go, man. So, uh, so that's, that's, a, that's a fun kind of folk tale about Ostara. And another one that I saw that was really popular was, uh, the story of the hair and the egg. So, and so I just, I have to say, this is the fucking, this is my favorite Ostara story because it is so goddamn cute. It's so cute. And this is definitely one to tell. I mean, if you're going to celebrate Ostara and you're doing a feast, um, this Tell it around the table. Like, this is the time, right? Like, if you're doing an Ostara celebration and you're having a little feast. So we know that Shannon likes to do a bit of uh, a, a lamb stew mm-hmm. for Ostara time. And, and you know, it kind of it ties into St. Patrick's Day as well, but also Easter. It's like that time of year, right? So, uh, but it is a feasting holiday. It's always been a feasting holiday. <laughs> um. So, you know, if you're doing that, this is a great one to tell around the table. Tell it to your kids. Get them in the spirit of things. This is fun for them, uh, you know, more so than just a ceremony, which might be kind of boring. And I don't know if you remember going to church as a kid, but sometimes that can be kind of boring. Ugh. So, uh, Ew, you know, so this, this, is, this is a little more fun. This is a little more, a little more fun and free-spirited. Uh, but so the story goes. That the animals, and in this story, it is important to say that they're like uh, anthropomorphic Narnia-style animals. They like live in houses and have beds and cabinets and, and stuff. groceries. <laughs> yeah, um, they were so excited because Ostara was coming for a visit, and they were going to throw this like really lavish party in her honor, and. Everyone wanted to show their devotion by bringing the best gift that they possibly could. And so, because they're anthropomorphic animals, anthropomorphic animals, um, some of them were rich, right? And some of them were poor. Um, But everyone was so dedicated to giving the best gifts that they had. And so, we come to our main character the hare and so the hare was not one of the wealthy animals but he had a very generous heart and he always gave away whatever he had to the other animals if they needed something so you could say he was maybe a bit of a socialist or a communist um because capitalism sucks and um legend has it that the hare was devastated when he went home to his cozy little rabbit hole. And he searched high and low for a gift, but found nothing. And so in the story, he looks everywhere. I mean, he's looking under his bed. 
He's looking under shelves and he's looking, he's like looking in his wardrobe. Like he's looking through his clothes to see, like, can I give her a coat? Like, Doesn't it uh, sound a little bit like an Easter egg hunt? <laughs> right, right, right. Like he's like, where am I? I, I don't even have anything because anything that I have that I could give away, I do give away. And so I just have what I need and there's really nothing here. But after exhausting every option, he looks in his pantry because he's like, I just got to bring something, right? And he finds a single egg. And so you can't bring a plain egg to a goddess. And he knew that. But but he also knew that the wealthy animals were going to bring like silver and gold and jewels. And if you want to mail us rubies, please ask for our address. Um, So he decorated the egg. And he was really hoping that it would kind of give him a pass. You know, he wasn't like, this is going to be the best gift. He was like, I really, really just hope this gives me a pass because the goddess is coming and it's this big party and everyone's bringing gifts. So I have to bring something. And the big day comes around. And of course, they bring her gold. They bring her jewels. They bring her precious rubies. And... The hare is so embarrassed. He just doesn't want to give anything. He's got his little he's got his little decorated egg. And uh so he waits till the end and then you know they're kind of like, "Oh, well, you know, it's a I guess it's just you. Come on down." And he's like, "Well, you know, I guess I kind of brought this egg and I don't know, I thought you'd kind of like it." And um I hope you really like it. Uh, But of course, the goddess was like, okay, this is a huge deal. You're like the most generous animal and you give everything away. And even still, you like tore up your house to find something to give me. And so you're my special animal now. Like, I bless you. She blessed him. And the hair ever since was uh, associated, but okay. But the but the hair ever since was uh, associated with Ostara, and uh, rabbits were her special animal, and she was always kind of depicted with a rabbit and an egg. And the the, the story of the hair and the egg is just like a central part of the whole celebration. Um. But also, pre-dating that, the rabbit was always a symbol of the moon. Um, which kind of ties into, like, Artemis and Hecate uh, also having, like, mild associations with rabbits because rabbits were associated with the moon and just kind of ties back in with magic in general um as as we see it in a more modern way um but uh but yeah um heartwarming yeah 
Is your heart warm, Shannon? My heart is hot. So hot. It's so sweet. I just like, I adore the hair and I just, I don't know. I feel like this is so much more special than like a bunch of like rich men bringing gold and myrrh to an infant that can't appreciate them. Yeah, it's a way better, it's a way better story for sure. But, um, you know, what can you do? But so that kind of brings us back around to how do we celebrate Theostara holiday as modern witches? So I guess the first thing I can say is that we celebrate on the spring equinox, which this year is March 20th, uh, which I believe is the beginning of Aries season. Um, because typically the spring equinox is the beginning of Aries season. Uh, but I might be a day off on that um, because it does kind of shift around a little bit. Um, and so, again, the super traditional way to celebrate has always been a feast. Uh, kind of like a celebration for surviving the winter, as we had said earlier, because the part of it is, that, you know, it's... You just have to think about how it was back then. It's like surviving the winter was something that was worth celebrating. And I think this year that applies more than many other years. So I definitely think this is a big year for Ostara. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were talking about your, your lamb stew. Uh, but we, I, you could also make hot cross buns. And one of the things that I had read that I thought was super interesting was that if the cross imagery seems a little out of place, you think about it as the wheel of the year and the balance of the equinox. So the equinox is that the day and the night are equal lengths. And, you know, you've got equal little cuts on the, the hot cross bun. Um, Cakes are also welcome here. I think we talked about yeah. seed cakes for Samhain. But yeah, this also cakes are a, always welcome. <laughs> also a good time for, for seed cakes. Um, because seeds are like such a emblematic thing in spring. You know, it's like you're talking about planting your garden. You're planting your crops. Seeds are in the air, literally. Uh, but also... If you are making a cake, and this is something that a lot of people from the American South will resonate with and understand, uh, the colors for Ostara are going to be very familiar to you. Uh, green, yellow, <laughs> and purple. It just makes me want king cake. I was literally saying, so you could... I mean, you could go out and buy a king cake and use it for your Astara celebration. Like, I'm not going to... Shannon, are you going to be mad at anyone? Are you going to judge anyone if they're celebrating Ostara with the king cake? Only if they don't share it with me. <laughs> Fair. But uh, the, co <laughs> the the colors are right. The, the sort of idea is right. Like, you know, we know not everyone has time to make a whole cake for their star celebration, but it is Mardi Gras season. 
and you could buy Mardi Gras cake. And, you know, you could do something with the baby as well. Um, if there's a baby in there. Uh, but, okay. So this is also a super good opportunity to spruce up your altar. With some Ostara magic. I'm going to say that again. With some yes, Ostara like magic. Ostara magic. Um So, okay. Painted eggs are great here. Uh, I think we actually mentioned this in the very last episode, but tulips have that lovely sort of egg shape. Um, so it's a spring flower. It's egg shaped. I think tulips are great here. Uh, symbols of rabbits are good. Uh, spring flowers of any kind are good. I mean, because we know people live in different parts of the country. Um what's local to you is what's local to you but i would also say you know if you're trying to do uh depictions or symbols of rabbits don't do a lucky rabbit's foot yeah that's not lucky for the fucking rabbit and also mean it's also just super mean and i don't think anyone that listens would uh do that but just don't do it yeah (laughs) Because uh, I did see, and I, I, maybe we could have done this on the the questionable witchy practice for uh, Easter week, but it's uh, it's just a bad idea. It's mean. Um, but it, we talked about seeds. Seeds are so good to represent spring because the seed is the potential of the plant that it could be, and spring is all about like the new beginning. And if you're baking or cooking thinking about baking or cooking with seeds at this time is great uh we can also do spell work with eggs and you can do this any time of year but it's it teams with the theme for ostara to do egg charms and spells involving eggs so uh for everyone out there that is not familiar with some of these things, uh, I wanted to do a few egg spells uh, just to kind of close the segment out. So burying a raw egg by your front door to attract abundance in the coming year. And we, we have to remember that this is the beginning of the Zodiac year, um, not the beginning of the calendar year, uh, and fertility for your garden. Um, you can also do an egg charm which you make a wish on, uh, which I love this little spell. And I do give us, and I never give sources, but I'm going to give a source for this one later on. So the tried and true rule with the egg charm is to use brown eggs for wishes involving animals and white for people and plants. Um, And so in America, we, most of us have access to both. Uh, if you don't go to a farmer's market, because the color of eggs really depends on the type of chicken that's laying. So if you don't have access to one or the other, depending on where you live, uh, you should be able to get both at a farmer's market. Um, so you start here by emptying it out by making a little hole on top. So think like a thumbtack hole on top. And like a nail hole on bottom, if that helps. Uh, but it's like a bigger hole on bottom. And 
the nail in the bottom kind of breaks the yolk uh, longer than the tack. Think about that. Um, shake it up, and then you can blow it out through the little hole in the top. And you can use a little, little straw for that if having a, a little bit of rag in your mouth is something that bothers you. But, uh, I mean, you know, honestly, if you're doing witchcraft, that might not be the grossest thing you've ever done uh, in aid of a spell. So, um, you can blow it out through the little hole, and if you have done everything correctly by puncturing the bottom hole and giving it a good shake, uh, it should just blow right out of the bottom hole. And then you have an empty eggshell, which you can paint. <laughs> um, so you want to let it dry out first. The outside will be fine, but you do want to set it up somewhere to dry out on the inside because you don't want to hang a rancid egg inside of your house. So um, because that's part of it, you you will end up hanging this up somewhere. Um, but once it's dry, you can paint on a symbol that pertains to the wish. So let's say you're wishing for love. You paint a heart. Um, if you're wishing for money, you would paint like a coin or a dollar bill or like a shamrock for, for just having better luck. Uh, whatever makes the most sense to you symbolically is what's going to be the most powerful here. So as with a lot of the craft, you know, it's, um, symbols, especially the symbols have to speak to you. Uh, you could also do a monochrome and just paint it a color. If figure drawing or anything like that is just like not within your re reasonable skill set, um, although you know you should at least give it a go. And if you fuck it up, do a color. <laughs> um, but you know you could do pink for love, green for money, purple for wisdom, uh, and again like whatever you associate certain colors with is going to be the most powerful here. Uh, but when it's all ready, so you've got your, your empty egg, you've got it painted, you've got your symbol on it. If you're doing a symbol, you've got your color on it. If you're doing it more by color, um, and then you're going to want to really focus your intentions. And that's always so important with this kind of stuff is, is you really have to focus your intentions on it. Um, you want to find an auspicious spot to hang it up. So maybe near the entry to your home, maybe like somewhere that you would see, because we talked about doing the, uh, the shadow magic spell. And this is something that you're going to want to put in a place that you see. Uh, just like that spell. Um, but Hang it in an auspicious place, and uh, you can hang it up by making a knot in a string. If your bottom hole is small enough to to accommodate that, uh, if not, you could do a little sideways matchstick. And if you have like a just like sewing thread, tie it sideways, and then it, that'll hold the egg up. I mean, it's an empty eggshell. So you don't have to worry so much about weight or where it's going to fall. If it does fall, um, 
you know, it's not going to break anything if a, if an eggshell with some string on it uh, falls from your ceiling. Uh, you're going to be fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, so so you can hang it up anywhere. Um, you can hang it up by a sideways matchstick. And there is an incantation to use while you're hanging it, which is a uh, little charm made of shell. As I hang you, may all be well. May all things grow. May all things flow. Blessings for the turning of the wheel. And so you can say that a couple of times or just once. or But while you're hanging it up to sort of charge your egg charm with your wish. Uh, and it, you know, it's, it's great, you know, because it's... Uh, kind of acknowledges the hope of spring. It's like that that song, uh, Aguas de Marco, that Bossa Nova song. It's like uh, the riverbank talks of the waters of March. It's like uh, spring is going to come back and, and bring good things into the world. And uh, I did find this egg charm on goddessandgreenman.co.uk. So uh, if you really want to uh, do the whole thing, which I encourage you to do because I do love this spell. Get the whole, get the whole DL there. Um, yeah, I love this. It. I kind of want to do it. So I did finally put up my like crystal hanging arrangement for the Fay out back. But I love the idea of if you have like a back porch or patio you sit on, these would be really cute to hang up around like your patio area. Yeah, and it's that time of year. You know, it's like if you're still in the broom closet, like it's gonna look like. And Easter decorations. And yeah, know, just pretend you're a thieving Christian. You don't have to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, so we were also talking about Pan this week, which I I don't know how we had this like really great spring episode, and then Pan's just kind of in here because Pan is my favorite, and that's what happens when you are doing like one long meeting to plan a couple of months <laughs> worth of episodes. That's true. Um, <laughs> Y'all, we had to get here, to 21 somehow. We really did. No, I, we actually have some really great episodes coming out. We do. But, we do. Uh, this, you know, it's kind of one of those things. So it's like, this one is in here. Um, but I have been excited to talk about Pan since we started the podcast because I knew I was going to cover it. Um, Pan is one of the gods that I regularly invoke in my own practice. And please don't judge me after I tell the popular stories about Pan. Um, so going back to like the beginning, beginning it is widely believed that Pan being a nature god predates the Olympian gods. Um, so He's frequently depicted in the style of a fawn with the legs of a goat and the torso and face of a man, but sometimes the horns of a goat. And uh, Satan and Capricorn in popular <laughs> artistic depictions um, are based on those. So when you look <laughs> At at like goat horn goat leg horn satan you know it's a uh, 
a lot of that is based on Pan. I have to say, as someone married to a Capricorn, it does make me laugh that uh, the depictions of Capricorn are very similar to those of Christian Satan. <laughs> right. I love Capricorns. Capricorns are great, but it is funny. I mean, you know, we, lo- we love all the earth signs. Equally. All of you are our children. <laughs> um, but okay, so he's the god of the wild. Like the wild, wild, not the hunt, not anything related to the wild, like the wild. So that's a big deal. Um, shepherds and flocks. And I think that's important, too, because if you were a shepherd at the time, you probably came into contact with the wild. More than someone who, say, lived in a city or worked in the merchant class, um, but also rustic music and impromptus. So, I mean, if we're thinking about like an like an ancient Greek drum circle, um, that's kind of the vibe. It's not an orchestra, although uh, the, the idea is that with an impromptu, you can kind of get almost to that point because... Everyone's kind of pitching in their improvised um, addition to the piece, but it's uh, improvised. It's an impromptu. Uh, So, (laughs) but also a companion to the nymph. So not a nymph himself, but always in the company of nymphs, because as we're going to discuss a little bit later on, he's quite horny. <laughs> and they're so, his groupies. They're his groupies. That is right. Um, so one of the reasons that they think Pan predates the uh quote unquote Olympian gods in Greek mythology is that in the myths that are written, he gave Artemis, who I, I would add, Artemis's mythological domain overlaps with pan in some major ways um she gave artemis or i'm sorry he gave artemis her hunting dogs um and taught artemis's twin brother apollo the art of divination so was had already been around for quite a while to teach these uh again olympian gods the ropes of that kind of thing yeah that's Um, awesome he's like the og the og yeah but like not a titan either because the olympian gods and zeus defeated the titans which are the creatures and monsters that existed before the greek gods and they had to defeat them and pan actually had a pretty heavy hand in that because um Here's here's a fun thing. You know what? I'm going to talk about it later. <laughs> um, he had the ability to freely teleport from Mount Olympus to the human realms at will. Um, and an interesting note about Pan is that he was always seen as one of the more minor gods and definitely in sort of the lower caste than the Olympians. But he appears in so many myths that 
as a supporting character, he gets more airtime than some of the the big guns like Apollo, like Hermes, like Artemis. Like those are major gods. And Pan is in almost every myth, even as as like a walk-on character. Yeah. He feels a little bit like the Waldo yeah. of Greek mythology. So um I mean, aside from Zeus himself, like mentions of Pan in separate myths. Right there. Yeah. You He's know, the Where's Pan... Waldo. It's like, where are you gonna find Pan in this one? Right, right, right. Um, so and I think this speaks to his popularity among the people, even though officially he wasn't major. So like the people who ran the temples and I mean, what you might call the clergy at the time, like the people who were in charge of the church were not about Pan. Like they were about these other gods and these other stories, but they really couldn't keep Pan out of it. <laughs> it's because he's a groovy dude. He's a groovy dude and he doesn't give a fuck. Um, so he has major ties to fertility. And is regularly depicted as being a virile god who beds nymphs and maidens without ever getting tired. But also a lot of the uh, graffiti that we find from the time about Pan has um, penises. Yeah, people have been drawing dicks on things since the beginning of time. That's true. But people used to draw in ancient Greece dicks on things in honor of Pan. So. Um, but it's like, in a way, haven't middle schoolers since the beginning of time continued the legacy of honoring Pan? I I think maybe we're all in a panic cult and we don't know it because I've certainly drawn a cock and balls in a bathroom stall. Yeah, dude, we all had desks in high school, right? <laughs> certainly. Um, but. It, it was from one of the nymphs that he regularly hung out with that he got his iconic pan flute. Uh, so the legend has it here that Syrinx, who was a wood nymph in Arcadia and the daughter of a river god called Ladon, met Pan on the way back from the hunt. Um, everyone hunted back then even ladies, so get used to it. <laughs> um, so she knew about Pan's reputation as a bit of a Lothario, bit of a horn dog, A bit of a rake, if you will. Bridgerton If you plug. will. <laughs> and she ignored him and his flattery because she knew he was a bit of a scoundrel. And so he followed her until they came upon her sisters who thought to turn her into a reed so that she could blend in on the side of a creek and just kind of hide out until he got bored and went and did whatever gods did back then. But being spurned by Syrinx only made his desire stronger. So since he couldn't tell which reed she had been turned into, he cut several, as one would, because 
your your favorite lady got turned into a reed. Let's start cutting them out off of the ground. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I it kind of seems like Syrinx's sisters maybe wanted her gone. Right. I mean, to be fair. A, a reed actually, is, is a real shitty thing to turn someone into because it's awfully easy to just pull it up. Exactly. So he made a pan flute out of all the different little pieces of reed. And he had, you know, cut them into different lengths and made um, a pan flute, which Google it. I'm, I'm not going to fucking explain it to you. <laughs> uh, if you've ever played a Zelda game, you know, I'm sh- it doesn't doesn't Link have a. Oh, no, we're going to get so many people writing in now. No, it's a it's an ocarina. Oh, it is an ocarina. OK, never mind. Um, wow. Nick, they're going to come for us. Okay, well, we can edit this. We can edit that part out. Um, no, I feel like we have to keep it now. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Okay, but Pan also has a major hand to play in something that we experience, if not daily, fairly often. Echoes. Do you know the legend of Echo? Echo, Echo, Echo. Yeah. <laughs> I do, but I think you should tell our listeners. Okay, so, oh my god spicy hot tea about pan um echo was a nymph because pan really likes to hang out with nymphs because he's a bit of a nympho himself (laughs) Ah. Um, so so echo was a really great singer and dancer and was beautiful and independent and not interested in romance with men at all and so My this kind angry. of gal. <laughs> right. So this made Pan angry. Um, because he was a horny goat god. And so, as Greek gods are wont to do, he had his followers rip her to pieces and spread all over the earth. Dick move. And so Gaia, the goddess of the earth, in a very compassionate uh intervention <laughs> um collected all of the pieces of echo to kind of help her into the afterlife uh but her she did voice, her best she really did what she could and golf clap but um <laughs> echo's voice remained where the pieces used to be repeating the last thing that was said as an echo for all time. So coming off of cliff faces and the entrances to caves and all of the places that echoes come from um, forever. So she's there hanging out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just being a fucking parrot until the end of time. Just because, because Pan couldn't get his dick wet. Right. Um, But I do want to say, even though those two, very popular legends. Paint Pan is a bit of a frat boy. I don't, I don't think it's all bad. I mean, because... I would hope not because you literally just told everybody this was your favorite god. So uh... let's get to the redemption arc here. Okay, but uh, <laughs> but he's but he's the god of rustic music, and who doesn't love a good old fashioned sing song? Um, there is a legend 
in Greek mythology that he taught people how to masturbate. Well, I feel like that pretty much absolves him of all other crimes. I mean, it's it's fair. And I would also say that the Greek mythology was written by people who were not super chill about consent generally. Yeah, that's one way to put everything Zeus ever did. Um, so I think, uh, how do I say? As an object of devotion, um, I, I personally think a lot of that is part of the culture that wrote about it. Uh, and not the the idea or the god in and of itself. Um, no, no, that's totally fair. And that's, I mean, that's always the thing about people that write about deities, right? It's like, they're not deities, so they are going to be inherently, like, flawed and skewed by their human perceptions. I uh, I totally get what you mean, and I don't, I'm not actually judging you, but it is fun oh, no, to no, give no. you shit. It really <laughs> is. Uh, because I'm like, yeah, this is my favorite. I use this in my practice all the time. and here's why he's a frat boy and um <laughs> he's horny but no um but but even in the greek myths which he appears in almost all of them he had a hand to play in defeating the titans which i had kind of alluded to earlier and scaring one of the great titan monsters to death with his screeches because Which, he's scary. Wow. Because he's the the root of the word panic. <laughs> so that feeling of being in a quiet part of nature and panicking has to do with the god Pan. So panic, Pan. Uh, pan, panic. Hello. Uh, but he's also the only Greek god that has a myth about his death. So I, I mean, I think that has something to do with his popularity among the people. Like he was almost like a populist God. Like they couldn't get him out of any of the myths because people love Pan. They love when Pan shows up and he was of the people by the people for. Yeah, the people. he really is. Yeah. And he was mortal. Supposedly, I mean, there's a myth about his death, uh, which, you know, not not my cup of tea. Bit of a misunderstanding, uh, supposedly with uh, some like Babylonian gods or, or something. That's a bit of a mistranslation, supposedly. But uh, linguistically, we have Pan to think for a lot. Panic. Uh, there's also the feature of the Pan legends that there's Big Pan, who's like the god. And then there's a bunch of little pans that you can sort of stumble across anywhere in nature, <laughs> hanging out with the nymphs. Um, and this is actually the origin of the Greek root word pan, meaning all, which also gives us modern words like pansexual. I feel like pan would love that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think on a more personal note, because I do feel like somewhat of a need to 
explain myself, right? I think the lesson that we can learn from Tan is this. We, as modern witches, have a reverence for nature as a central tenet of our beliefs. But nature is often crass and chaotic and bizarrely sexual. Uh, And we have to work to accept these facts as part of our experience of the world. Because it's not always like a beautiful garden. Sometimes it's a wild forest and it's not always a well-behaved familiar or a docile flock of sheep. Uh, you know, sometimes it's nasty, ball slappy goat sex. Maximum volume in public view. I would say that's just as beautiful and holy as anything else. And that's why I'm a devotee. It's just, you just painted such an image. (laughs) But also, I think as an Aries, I'm often crass and chaotic and generally don't give a fuck. And it just really speaks to my soul. Yeah, it's weird that like, the iconography for Pan is like very much like the iconography for Capricorn because Pan has much more Aryan energy than Capricorn energy. I I would say so. So, you know, it's like kind of full circle. It's like this one's kind of thrown in here randomly, but I don't think it is thrown in here randomly. It's like that chaos makes sense in a way. Yeah. Um, so, but I, like I said, It speaks to my soul, and I think it must have spoken to the ancient Greeks, considering that you just really couldn't have a myth without a walk-on role for our hernial goat gone pan. I love him. Well, I feel like this is a good transition into our QWP this week. Mm. So, you know, in the past, we've done a QWP that was more of a caution against casual seances. And so I have to say this is in a... uh, very similar vein. It's less of a questionable practice and more of a like questionable to recommend this to brand new people who maybe aren't experienced. Um, so, <laughs> you yeah, know, it's like, during- it's it's a it's more of a it's a questionable practice for people who are not experienced. Yes. So, you know, doing research for this episode, you know, like we do. Um, I started seeing a lot of like tie-ins to, um, you know, April Fool's Day being this time of year. And in multiple places, I read the recommendation to think about working with trickster gods this time of year. Um, mm. <laughs> which... I mean, okay, so my... I, I, I think everyone should know. My birthday is this time of year. So I have seen this kind of thing many, many times. Yeah. And, and I want to say... Very clearly up front, I do not mean that you should like never work with Loki, but you shouldn't enter into a working partnership with a trickster deity lightly. Um, and definitely it's not something to do just for the fun of it on April Fool's Day. Like working with deities, no matter you know what pantheon or where they come from or their background, like it's it always comes with like certain risks, right? Like these are super powerful entities that have like centuries of energy being poured into them from like worshipers and practitioners. And so when you petition a God, you know, you, you're an ant and they are a tidal wave. Like you, you can't control the way they're going to respond to you. 
Because sure, you might get what you want, but it might not look like what you actually thought you wanted. So it's like, there's always this like edge of like risk and like really needing to be at a place in your magic where you're also like, you feel comfortable taking on that level of risk. Um, and not to say also, don't do I it. I would say with like a trickster god, you shouldn't ever ask for anything super serious. Yeah. So this is uh, so after you know, like I think because it's, it's like a it's like with with casual gambling, right? If the stakes yeah. are low, the stakes are low. If the stakes are high, that's when that's when stuff starts to get crazy. Yeah, and I think that, you know, again, working with deities of all sorts does come with risks, which is what I just want to make sure that we're reiterating. I'm not the type of person that says, oh, you should not work with deities at all if you're new. But again, like Nick said, I think it's like, it's important to start with low stakes and also maybe not come out of the gate with a trickster god because they have chaotic energy. You know, there's like, there's a reason they have a longstanding reputation for like playing tricks. And, you know, I've read a lot of stuff from people who work with trickster gods and all of them just accept the reality that like, you know, of course, when they ask, the god will probably, you know, grant them their petition. But that also means that they're going to have something weird happen, like for the god's amusement at some point as well. It's not just like fun and games. I mean, and you the... have to think of like a genie wish. Yeah, because that's that's what I was thinking of when I was reading about this as well. Was like, if you're going to do a petition with a trickster god, and there's many of them out there, and actually there's so many trickster gods in, uh, I'm, I'm going to say the pan-African pantheon, oh, yeah. but yeah. There, there's actually a lot of trickster gods in various African traditions, so I'm saying pan-African just to cover it, but... um. The thing is, is you you do have to think of it like a, like a genie, uh, or what you would think of as a genie, because there's gonna be some kind of hilarious payment involved, and that's yeah. actually how all magic works. So you're paying for everything. It's um, just the the things that trickster gods enjoy are more like weird funny to them shit happening to you irony, or people irony. around you. There's a, there's a lot of irony involved. Yeah. I read this like great um, account and I'm so sorry. I don't have it in front of me, so I can't remember the woman I was reading about, but basically she was telling a story about, I, I just mentioned Loki here. Cause I feel like that's probably the one most people are familiar with. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And she petitioned him to like help her in this ritual to clean out her friend's home because there was bad energy and two weeks later, her friend's wife left him. Uh, and it's because, yeah, it cleaned out all of the energy, but also the the wife wasn't happy. So it also cleaned that energy out. Um, right. So it's like that kind of thing. Um, and again, it's like, I just think that, especially for new witches, this is kind of like, you know, a higher level thing. Like, I just don't think you should jump into the roaring rapids before you're comfortable, at least like holding your own in the deep end. And I would say that working with deities is very much like deep end magic. Again, I think people have to gain experience through practice, which is what we all do. There's a reason this is called a practice. But I just want to caution against like jumping right into working with a trickster because it's yeah, like April Fool's. I mean, you know, you could do something else. 
Yeah. And it's like you could petition Ostara. Like you could petition Pan. Um, There's so many options. But yeah, I just when I read this, it's one of those things where like on the Internet, when I see recommendations like that in multiple places, I'm like, maybe a disclaimer would be cool because like, you know, uh, we don't want to just like encourage everyone who's like reading your Reddit page to go out and like work with a trickster just to celebrate April Fool's. Like that's a, no, you need to think about it a lot more. You need to be really, I think, certain with any deity work that you're ready for whatever like payment you'll have to provide. Because I think when you're working with deities, it's often a much bigger payment, but God with a trickster, um, there's just a lot of variables. And I just, I would be so sad if like something, I don't know. It just, it seems sad that someone might read that on the internet and then decide to work with a trickster, have a terrible experience, and then like maybe never do deity work again. Yeah. And I would say, you know, considering the episode, if you did want to work with Pan, one thing that I think really just like is great is if you can go to like a dry creek bed where all the rocks are like really old and creaky. No, like no pun intended. Um, and like pour alcohol out for pain. Oh yeah, libations. Um, that'll do it. <laughs> so I like that. But yeah, so that was just what I wanted to plug today. Just again, just kind of a caution. Not to say not to work. I don't think anyone should just like take this as a wands and fronds is against like working with trickster gods. Not true. Uh, just like don't lightly enter into something like that just because it's April Fool's Day. Okay, thanks. Um, King Grey. You know, we we kind of did like a like a weird little reverse this episode because I feel like we usually come in with the plant topic and we have a lovely spring plant topic this week. Um, yeah. I'm but we're so kind of we're, we're we're kind of closing out with that. We are. Today. And I I think it'll be I I think it's nice. I like it. So today we're talking about like one of my favorite little shrubby vines, uh honeysuckle. And I actually have two honeysuckle plants um out in front of my on my front porch like on my columns and I love them. The smell of them is like so nostalgic for me because they were all over the place where I grew up in Texas and one of my close friends had one like by her front door so it's like when I smell honeysuckle I'm like immediately taken back to that place you know so the smell itself is was like is so nostalgic for me personally and when I was picking out the plants for my front porch I wanted to have something with a strong scent memory attached to it because I really love this place um and honeysuckle fits that bill but it also fits the bill magically so as far as like the care and a little bit of background, honeysuckles in the Caprifoliaceae family, and they're actually native to North America and Eurasia with around 180 species identified. So the most common that you're going to see um, are Lonicera paris, uh, Periclymenum, and that's like the common honeysuckle, also sometimes called woodbine. There's Lonicera japonica, which is Japanese honeysuckle. You could also see it called white honeysuckle or Chinese honeysuckle for some reason. Um, and there's also Lonicera um, sempervirens, which is coral honeysuckle. Uh, it's the trumpet honeysuckle. Again, it's also sometimes called woodbine. So I do actually grow sempervirens. That's the one I have on my front porch. And, you know, I think the flowers for this one are really what got me when I was looking at the different types of honeysuckle. 
because they are this like gorgeous, like red leaning coral and they contrast my purple front door perfectly. Um, but they also attract hummingbirds, which we have a few around here. And as far as the species go, (laughs) I know. Yeah. I love it. Um, but as far as the common species I listed, Japonica is actually like really aggressive and highly invasive. So I strongly recommend against growing it. But if you really want to and you must do it in a container, um, you know, a lot of the species of this plant actually can become invasive if they're planted outside of their natural environment. So I would I would just research it before plopping it in the ground because there's so much honeysuckle that's like native to various parts of the U.S., but Japonica has become like a real problem in a few places and it just like chokes out other plant life and that's not good. So just be really careful with that. Um, but again, they do have this like beautiful, strong, fragrant, fragrant scent. Um, and it's named for that sweet nectar that the flowers produce. So when I was growing up, you know, outside of my friend's house, we would also like suck the nectar out of the honeysuckle too. There's a lot of like licking the nectar out of flowers, I guess, in North Texas. Um, <laughs> I, I learned it from my great grandma. So yeah, I mean, we learned it from grandparents too. So, but most of, most of the species of honeysuckle are like twining climbers, but there are also some that are like shrubby boys that stick closer to the ground that are great for like ground cover. And the plants all have opposite oval leaves and most of them are deciduous, but there are actually evergreen varieties as well. And no matter whether they're like a shrubby boy or they're like one of the vines, they all have these super fibrous stems that are really good for, you know, like mundane things, but also for spell work, of course. So wait, wait, hold on. Let me jump in here. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about like not magic? We are. We're talking about like not magic. And we're talking about sunrise. That's true. Because that's when they flower, you know? Yeah. They do. They they like open up in the morning and then they like close throughout the day. Okay. Yeah. I mean, perfect for the theme. It is. It is. Honey I just have to say, I just have to say, yeah, I, and I do want to say to everyone listening out there, sometimes these episodes literally come together uh, through, I don't know, osmosis? Synchronicities? I don't know. It kind of feels like. Sometimes the brain meld works in weird ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, the honeysuckle, but here we are. Yeah, here we are. So you could, so theoretically, you could plant some honeysuckle in honor of Ostara, because not only is Ostara the goddess of spring, but also the goddess of the sunrise. Yeah. And these, like, the version that I have are, like, that orange coral, which is very sunrise color. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butt out here. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, I love it. Um, so a lot of them, though, like, you know, things that flower, they do produce fruit. Um, and the fruit, they're either, like, red, blue, or black, depending on the variety. And they're these, like, berries that have a bunch of little seeds inside. But in most species, they're poisonous. Uh, but there is the Lonicera um, cerulea that the berries are edible. Apparently, that's the um, the blue honeysuckle. So, of course, these are great plants for your garden or porch um, because they can cover, you know, like walls and columns. They're very cooperative vines, which is nice. Um, and that's what I'm doing with mine. 
And the vines actually need their base and partial shade and then their flowers and sunlight. And the way that I have mine on my southeast porch is it's great because there's actually a tree and some like shrubs nearby that block a lot of the strongest sun from hitting like directly on top of the soil, um, which is I ended up just having like the perfect sort of setup for one of these plants. Um, of course, they like a good well-draining soil uh, and some varieties can be grown in containers. But if you're growing them in containers, you do need to like fertilize really regularly during the growing season. You know, like like most flowering plants, these are actually like pretty heavy feeders. So, you know, it's just important to remember that because they have access to less nutrition when they're in a pot versus when they're in a ground being part of an entire ecosystem. Um, the, the great news about these is that they actually don't require a whole lot of work, but they need a good pruning once a year to keep them in shape and like to help keep them from growing too wild as well, just for aesthetics, especially if you're using them as ground cover. If you just left them alone, they would take over like the planet. So they will return year after year, but you do need to like keep them healthy and happy for that to happen. Um, and pruning is really good for plants for a lot of reasons. One of the most important being that it removes things that they would be wasting energy on that are maybe no longer productive. So it's, Again, sometimes I know if you anthropomorphize your plants like I do, sometimes pruning can feel mean, but I promise it's not. Like, it's good for your plant. Uh, it's, so It's tough, too, I think, with um, those kind of vining plants because we had grown, yeah. like, a trellis of morning glory at some point uh, when, I was a, when I was a kid. We had to buy the koi pond. Um, and my dad had told us to trim it, trim it all back down. And some of the ends were still perfectly alive, but they were little ends that were alive connected to a whole section of dead plant. So, you know, it's like for the greater good to cut the dead part of the vine off. Yeah, exactly. It's it makes sense. It's important to do. So just don't don't feel bad about it. It's and okay. And also it might be kind of nice. You can make little micro bouquets. Oh, you can. And there's so much good stuff you can do with them. And if you have one of the edible versions, I'm going to talk a little bit now about they've got some really cool, actually, like medicinal uses. The leaves can be like dried and smoked or steeped in water for tea. And they've been used for things like asthma. Like people used to smoke dried honeysuckle uh, leaves to use as sort of like uh, old school inhaler essentially they can also be the leaves can also be like ground you know chewed and applied to bee stings to help with swelling and you can also use the leaves to make a decoction for sore throats and coughs so there's this lots is, of this is giving me like um so my we were talking about grandparents telling us like to eat all the flowers or like suck yeah. the, the the sweet dew um this is exactly what they say to do with tobacco so yeah. Grandma Mary, who had told us what to do with the flowers, um, also had told us uh, sort of what to do with tobacco. Because um, you could put tobacco on a bee sting, you could put tobacco uh, on a burn, that kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's like, it's, it sounds like very similar uses. So Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, and on the on the sort of an extension of our conversation last week, it's important to know that some of these species can be poisonous to pets. So be cautious. 
Um, but now I want to get on to the magical. So if you want to use it in your practice, you actually have a few options for how to get it. So of course, fresh flowers gathered from a garden are always great, but you can also buy dried blossoms. You know, they sell them as like herbal supplements or specialty teas. You can also, of course, procure scented oils, candles, or incense. I will say that I saw some people recommending to burn the flowers as incense, but I wouldn't recommend that just because there's a lot of sugar in that nectar and it's going to smell burnt. They're not, they're not good candidates for like burning the dried flower petals. So it's not, it's not lavender y'all. Yeah, it's not lavender. Honeysuckle though, of course, another reason that I love having it, it's said to be one of the favorites of the Fae. And if you plan to pick some of the flowers for eating or for tea, you can leave some of the nicest ones out as like a little offering for the fairies. And the scent, you know, is super voluptuous. You know, it's got that very like heady floral scent, which is why it's good for things with like psychic visions and dreamings. But, you know, if you think about all the lusciousness of those plants, it makes sense that they're also really commonly used to enhance like love and sexuality. There's some people say you can wear like honeysuckle perfume to like help make yourself more attractive. I would say it's like American jasmine. I mean, it it grows outside of America, but yeah, it's very much like a jasmine type thing, though. It's got that again, like the heady florals is I think the best way I've seen it described. It's also cultivated, though, for good luck and prosperity And there's also sort of this like folklore that honeysuckle plants keep good fortune flowing and love alive in the home if you have them planted outside. So I did, I used the word like voluptuous earlier because I just feel like it makes sense with honeysuckle. So of course it's associated with the planet Venus, but you'll also see some people attribute it to Jupiter because honeysuckle, you know, is really prolific. It grows like crazy and it's supposed to bring luck. So you're going to see it with one of those two. To me, it makes more sense with Venus, though. So when I'm doing my practice, that's how I'm thinking about it. And the the hidden nectar in there really implies like a correspondence with water. But I have seen it, you know, given Earth correspondences. But to me, it has a bit more of like a water and even some like a little lunar in there, just because I feel like a lot of things that are associated with water, I also feel there's that connection to the moon as well. So, oh, yeah, yeah, to well, me, it's, it's kind of like how we were talking about how Ostara is the beginning of spring, but it's also the end of winter. Yeah, it's like it's water. Yes, it is. <laughs> exactly. It's like it's, it comes from the earth, but it is very, very watery. Well. It's water. And you can use these, you know, you can use them in like a sweetening jar or a honey jar like we've talked about. Um, And Scott Cunningham, the prolific writer, speaking of prolific, in the Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, he says you can lightly crush the fresh flowers and rub them on the forehead to heighten psychic powers. So if you're going outside to maybe do some work under the moon and you happen to have a honeysuckle plant, that could be a great way to get yourself, you know, grounded and ready for whatever work you're going to be doing. And honeysuckle scent that is either like rubbed or diffused on fairy offerings is said to make them too delicious for the fae to resist. So, you know, if you're wanting to treat your fae well. Um, I, I used a few resources for this, though. Uh, our Lord and Savior Wikipedia. 
gardeningknowhow.com, which y'all have heard me use a lot, curenursery.com, and Grove and Grotto. So. I literally love that so much. And when you were talking about the honeysuckle, I'm just thinking, like, my grandparents had this... It was not even, like, at their house, but it was, like, on their street. Someone had honeysuckle on a trellis as part of their, like, property line on the street. Oh. So it was, like, it wasn't even their honeysuckle, but we would go next door and take all of the fucking juice out of the (laughs) honeysuckles because... Yeah. It's delicious. They told us it was delicious, and it sure was. It's like honey water. Yeah, it's so good. But it is, I feel like the nectar is so much, like, thinner, which to me also is why it does, it feels like a water plant to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and what I was saying earlier was that uh, you were saying it felt feels like it's ruled by the moon, even though it blooms at sunrise. It's like sunrise is the end of the night. Yeah. And then I lost, and then I lost my train of thought so i talked about water and earth but i was like no no it's it's the it's not just the beginning of the day it's the end of the night you know yeah. it's like they've been charging up all night to bloom it's one of those like liminal spaces yes yeah so i we love honeysuckle but i was really excited so this morning i woke up and nick i've done this like once before where you know, I, I tend to do tarot stuff in the morning. So when I do the tarot scope, that's when I do it. And today I was just like, we need to do, this is for Aries. This is for Aries today. Not just because it's almost next season, but it just mm. felt right. And then I looked at our tracker and realized, Nick, we've never done a tarot scope for Aries before. No, we've done Taurus like twice. Yeah. And I think Libra. we've done Leo twice or no, was it yeah. Libra twice? So no, Aries hadn't happened, but this is for you, Nick. Um, but also my sweet willow pup is an Aries as well. So of course she is. <laughs> for you today, I've drawn the page of cups. So let's start by talking about what pages are in the tarot. So pages are at the beginning of the suit cards. So as people, you know, pages represent like young, energetic people who are about to embark on a journey. They're still like learning about their own skills and like their own tactics and what works for them. But they have all that like enthusiasm and excitement that people have like right at the beginning of some exciting new project. On a physical level, pages can represent like children or young adults, but again, also someone that's like maybe young at heart or discovering themselves. Like, can again, can this be any more Aryan, like the energy of the pages? Oh, yeah. No, we were talking about this uh, via text earlier today. And I was like, it's like boss baby energy. Because I feel like that's such Aries energy. It's like, I'm in charge, but also I am baby. Exactly. And these cards, as you know, if you're thinking about them in relation to an event, they're really an invitation. Like this card is a messenger to bring you a new opportunity. It's really the universe giving you the green light. And the cups, of course, are all about like feelings and emotion because they're, you know, they represent water. So there's those associations with things like love, intuition, consciousness. And I find that anywhere in astrology or in life in general, like oppositions are a really great opportunity to find balance and acceptance. 
And so I know that, you know, these are a water card, which is in opposition to the fieriness of the Aries. And the page of cups here, Nick, to you, this is an invitation to open up your mind and intuition. Like you have this spark of creative energy and like the little seed of creative possibility. So you need to like be totally open to any and all new modalities, but especially things in the creative realm. Because, you know, with an open and curious mind, it's possible for you to like dream new dreams and tap into your highest potential. And this card is really an invitation to like embrace your inner child, you know, that part of you that still believes that anything is possible. So, you know, try and welcome that part of your psyche into the light, you know, and kind of push down your inner cynic because of course, like caution is really important and necessary, but it's so easy, especially for people that have gone through any sort of trauma to become totally jaded and cynical as adults. And that mindset really does like keep you from being able to be your best, most creative, realized self. And I think it's really important that we all be careful that we're not like confusing street smarts with actual rampant cynicism. So the the most important thing here, though, is you've got to let yourself dream big. You know, even if it seems out of reach, you can surprise yourself with what you're able to accomplish if you just let yourself really explore what it is that you most deeply desire. So that is my message for all of our Aries babies here at the almost beginning of your season where we got about a couple of weeks left, but by the time this airs, we're going to be like, what, a week and a half out. So, But no, I would say I really needed to hear that because honestly, I'm a Virgo rising and I do kind of keep myself down. Um, yeah. And like, I've really been struggling with that lately. So that really resonated with me. And I'm so glad you decided to just do Aries instead of doing the Google, <laughs> the Google uh, random number. Yeah, it just felt right. And then when I got this card, I was just like, shit, yeah. Because I do know like us doing this podcast and all of the other things we want to do together is like, I think for both of us, it can be very scary. But like, I just loved seeing this card because it is such a big invitation to like, not just dream the little dreams that capitalism and growing up in the US has like, allowed us to have for ourselves. It's like, no, fuck that. Like, Go back to being a little kid when you wanted to like be president astronaut, like that level of like (laughs) dreaming big, letting your creativity flow because like the universe wants it. Like we all the the connected energy of everybody means that really like the collective is best served when all of us are at our highest, like most successful, most turned on, being able to create and like. Aryan energy is so big and so beautiful, but I think so many things about like that impulsiveness and that being really excited to like try new things. We don't live in a culture that values that. And so I was just so glad to get this like for, for Aries in particular, because like the page of cups is like, no, you need to tap into those things that make you you that make you special and exciting and open to taking risks that are too much for other people like you know tell tell capitalist western culture to shut the fuck up so you can like be a little kid and like just welcome the good things about you because i do know that like aries also get shit on especially this time of year um oh my goodness listen no it's it's not that aries get shit on is that people who don't 
understand what Aries is all about, uh, feel the need to write down their lukewarm opinions um, (laughs) or say them out loud, to be perfectly frank, as far as like YouTube people go. But, you know, um, I think the really and we were talking about this with Pan as well. I think the really beautiful thing is that I don't give a fuck. Yeah. And this card is telling you to like lean into that. Yeah. Which I And love. so speaking of which, um I am going to LA. Yes. The day before my birthday. And I would really love just anything anyone wants to send. We're doing cuz last time I I mean I don't know if y'all listening remember but <laughs> We had our little Q&A episode uh, back in December, and we didn't really mention it on the podcast. And we tried to make up for it by doing it on Instagram. So I think this time we're doing it well in advance. And this episode will air before. um, Well before. Well before. Well before. Yeah. So... So and you can send those to our email, which is wandsandfronspod at gmail.com. Or you can message us on Instagram, and that's at wandsandfronspod. So you can always reach us there, you know, if you want to, like, send Nick a birthday bag of rubies. Uh, or, you know, just tell us how much you love us, how much you hate us, insult us. You know, we're open to anything. We love, Honestly, we love hearing from you if y'all. you have an insult that you... I mean, okay, so if you're listening to this podcast and you want to insult us, please. Because, oh, I mean, we would love it. Can you imagine what a niche insult would come from just like literally anything? Send anything because what we're doing is when I am there for my birthday, we are not writing an episode. We're going to do user submitted stuff. So if you send something, it'll probably end up on. Yeah, and how about this, Nick? Since we'll be live here, we'll also video record it so we can Mm. post a video of the podcast in addition to, like, posting it online audio-wise. I'll make sure to wear a cute outfit. Yeah, it means I actually have to, like, do something to my face, which I never do before we record because I love y'all listeners, but you can't see me. You can't see. Oh, uh, so uh, I think, I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but usually when I'm recording... I have just come from a brunch shift at a restaurant. So uh, my pants and shirt and hair are dirty. So, yeah, y'all know Nick loves you because he like makes time for this because uh, he's fucking exhausted by the time he gets here. (laughs) He's pulling out all of the stops to bring you the content you desire. Yeah, I I literally. I worked a double yesterday and then. In the like hour and a half that I had between the two pieces of my shift, which would have been a lunch break, um, I wrote my notes for this episode. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think that brings us to the it. end, though. This so is the bitter end. So, Nick, what do we say to all the bitches out there? We say blessed be bitches. And y'all are just the most blessed bitches. <laughs> you are the most blessed blessed be bitches goodbye bye now
NBD. <laughs> I can hear everything you're saying. Oh uh, my goodness. Plot twist. She couldn't hear anything. 